1: Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi tips. Same Racer, download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet.
0: Gamble responsibly. Call one 858 Thorpe is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend.
2: Four hundred and fifty eight is the total, out of which Bradman has made three hundred and nine not out. It's a world's record. Three
0: First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne, and he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery.
2: Australia have done it. Australia is back on the biggest
0: stage. Welcome to this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host Sam Edmund.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Well today, we're joined by a legendary Australian journalist, a former sports editor and a man who revolutionised how Australian football is covered. Scott Palmer was the central figure in some of the biggest stories in footy history. He didn't play, coach or umpire, but the man who has newspaper ink running through his veins has a passion for the game and a good yarn. Scotty, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here with you. It was your famous sign-off, Scotty, but I don't feel like we can get started until we get a trademark, keep on punching. Can you indulge us? Sure we can. Keep on punching. Where did the catch car come from, Scotty?
2: Jack Cannon. I don't know if um, uh, you remember Jack Cannon, but uh, he was a fam- famous journalist for the Herald, and uh, he became the editor of the Sunday Press and he started his his column up with um, cannon shots, and um, he said, "You need a uh, a, a a slogan that get you gets them fired up." He said, "Keep
1: on punching. Why don't you do that? You love your boxing, and that's how it started." You're clearly still punching. How's the health these days, Scotty? Well, I've been through a few
2: <laughs> a few traumas. Um, I had. Uh, cancer in the uh, prostate, and I had that out. And I had uh, cancer in the uh, the throat, and uh, I've had that uh, attended to with 35 radiotherapies and chemotherapies. And I've had uh, hips, both hips taken out. Uh, I've had a knee taken out, I've had cataracts off my eyes. I've been through the wars a bit, but I'm still here. That's the <laughs> point. Sometimes wonder when I'm laying in bed in the morning, how I wake up. It's amazing, really. Life's funny.
1: Now, Scotty, you were born March 25th, 1937, in Richmond. In fact, you were born and bred in Richmond. It would have been a tough suburb in those days, wouldn't it?
2: It was a really tough suburb, yeah. I was born, bred, educated, married. I married the girl that lived opposite me uh, in Richmond, in Lenox Street, Richmond. And we're still married after... 61 years now.
1: Fantastic. And we'll, we'll get to Lorraine a little bit later, your dear wife. Yeah, but your yeah. old man, Scotty, was the legendary Clyde Palmer, a sports and a crime reporter. Fair, fair combination, that. But he was a, a journal of great repute. Came from a journo family.
2: Uh, the three brothers were all good operators. One was, Lindsay was the uh, uh, sports editor for the um, Sydney Telegraph and Howard was a place in the sun, he was a columnist for the sun, and Dad, of course, was the eldest, and um, he sort of set the path for these guys, but um, he started with the morning post, and um, then went to the sun, and then ended up on truth, and I was just thinking um, overnight, you know, I had a look at some of the photos from the past, and there I was at, School. I was a schoolboy, and I was actually started with The Truth um, when I was at school, and I became their uh, film critic, I, working on a Saturday and also uh, doing the films uh, through the week. I had a pass from Hoyts and a pass from independent theatres, and the first picture I commented on was the uh, Harlem Globetrotters. They brought out a picture, and I did something on that,
1: and that was the very first. I did it for a couple of years. Is it true that you sat upright if the film was good, Scott, and you snored if it was a dud? That's right. That's exactly right. Jesus, you've been looking uh, into the past a bit.
2: That's exactly yeah, I right. I had a little dinkus, a little dinkus, that if I had oh. a good picture, I, I love it. stood up and shouted out. Yeah.
1: With Clyde, your dad's line of work, being, especially when he was the crime reporter, did you ever have some colourful characters who popped uh, over to the Palmer household? I sure did.
2: I sure did. There were a lot of um, well-known people, colourful characters that knocked on the door. We never owned a house. I lived in a flat all my life. We never owned a car. We never went on a holiday. uh, Because my man... Lived in taxis, loved work, and uh, never never wanted to go away. And he just had so many contacts here that he had to keep in touch with them all the time. An amazing guy he was. He really was. But I missed out on a bit, I suppose, if you think that. You know, I never, never had a house of my own. Always a flat.
1: Amazing. What you did have, though, Scott, was a real love of footy growing up, and you were a Tigers man living in the heart of Tiger Town. What was that like? It was fantastic, really.
2: I only lived a hundred metres or so from uh, the Richmond Ground, no ground, um, but I was never a Richmond barracker. My grandfather was an old um, Carlton United Brewery horse driver, and he carried the bar- barrels around, and um, he. Um, used to drive me back from school down to the Collingwood football ground because that's where he used to park park the thing and uh, put the horses away. And he used to take me into the uh, Collingwood rooms and I used to meet up with uh, Lou Richards and Flunch Kine, uh, Gordon Hocking, um, a lot of those guys, Georgie Hams, who was a favourite of mine, Bobby Rose was there too. Yeah, but that's how I loved Collingwood and I was still, still fond of them.
1: And you would go on to enjoy, well, a long and distinguished career as a reporter and an editor at The Sun, Sunday Press, Sunday Sun, Sunday Herald Sun. But you mentioned being the film critic there, Scotty, but when did you get your first break in the media? Was it that or was it something that came a little bit earlier? That was probably set me
2: on the way. Um, I always loved newspapers. I used to write little newspapers at home and all that sort of stuff just to send around the people at the flats see what was doing. And uh, it was in my blood. But um, my break came, of course, when I uh, got the job as a copy boy at the Sun. I had a f- flair for sort of uh, unusual stories. And <laughs> this bloke at the um, uh, in the features saw me and he, he made me the, the young Sun editor. And I then I got out and did stories like um, A Day a, a Sheep Shearer and a day is something else, and a day is something else, just to give the kids an idea of what jobs are around. And that, that's how I got, got a start off, I reckon.
1: And I'm sure when you were critiquing films there, Scott, you never thought you'd actually play yourself in a feature film, but you did exactly that, and you did it in the classic Aussie flick, The Club. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was terrific too. I enjoyed doing that with Jack Thompson. An unusual thing, um... We did it at the Collingwood ground and well, Graham Kennedy was in, part, in a leading role there and he had played my old man in The Power Without Glory and uh, we became fairly good mates. He used to say to me, just be yourself. Don't worry about anything, just be yourself. And it was good fun. It was really good fun.
1: Hollywood never called?
2: No, <laughs> no. In fact, the funny thing, that I've got photograph and it's all the checks the, that I got from the, the club, rights and all that sort of stuff. The royalty checks? To about 20, yeah, royalty checks. And they amount to about 20 bucks.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but I've still got them framed. Fantastic. And speaking of getting things framed, I don't know if you did this, but do you remember your first back page? They put me onto VFA, which I
2: loved. Yep. And I got some great stories out of VFA, unusual stories. And I became a good mate of a, a lot of the players down there. And uh, one was Johnny Coglin, who played, played for Oakley. And he used to feed me some good stories, like bring um, me up and he said, listen, I've had a death threat and all this sort of stuff. I used to get the back pages for VFA, which was unheard of. Sandringham turned there. Uh, grandstand into a into a soup kitchen at one stage, mm. they were going that bad. blokes used to uh, sail out from Williamstown to check the winds before the before a match and we used to get photographs of a out there in a in a rowboat checking the winds and all and they were terrific stories well, or easy stories to get and yet good stories because they were unusual that 's why there was one terrific story made. Not only the front page, it made, yeah, it did make the front page, was when Tommy Leif, the Port Melbourne coach, was um, uh, locked up and handcuffed um, for abusing a, an opposition player. And the police took him off the ground and put him in handcuffs and, and made uh, made a big, big splash.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Next, Scott Palmer on the move from the VFA to the big time of the VFL.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
1: Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, we're with journalism icon Scott Palmer. Scott, when you did step up to cover the VFL, was that like getting a game in the seniors at that point or had you broken that many stories It was a a pretty seamless transition?
2: A big time when I moved up to the uh, VFL. You know, I was with uh, Kevin Hogan and Rex Pullen and Jack Dunn and... um, it was wonderful, really. I thought, how, how good is this? And just going out to training on a Tuesdays and Thursday nights, uh, to, we covered all grounds, was just wonderful. Meeting guys that you'd never dream of meeting, you know. Um, Teddy Whitten at Footscray and, and Bobby Skilton, who I spoke to the other day. He's having a bit of problem with his shoulder. and um, But seeing Bobby at, down at the... Uh, Lake Oval, and, and oh, that was just fantastic, really. And at Geelong, even Geelong, when I used to go down to, I used to, Geelong was a bad one because you had to go down in a, tra- a car and back again. And but I loved going down to Geelong. Bobby Davis was down there, and um, there were a few guys that used to hang around the the uh, ground and used to tell me all the little bits and pieces that went on. Oh, there were my leaks down there.
1: It was good fun. We spoke about the VFA. When it came to the VFL, what are some of... So many stories I, I know, but what are some of the ones that, that live on with you now? Tommy
2: Happy was always a, a good mate of mine. Uh, he had the milk bar in Richmond. I used to go there and hang around the jukebox and all that sort of stuff. And In fact, my wife worked for him for a while. I heard... I, I was down at the Rising Sun Hotel in um, South Melbourne on a Friday night, was very busy down there. It was a good time to get down there. A lot of football people went there. And I was told on the Friday night, as I was going out the door, a bloke, I won't mention his name, he's still attached to Richmond a little bit. Uh, He was a very prominent figure down there. And he mentioned, he called me aside and he said, Scott, I'm just telling you, Sunday morning at... um, a certain bloke's place, they're going to sack Tommy Hafey. And um, I said, what? He said, yep, they're going to sack him. He'll be under the oak tree. They're going to meet and have a a couple of beers. And I've been told they're going to sack Tommy Hafey as coach after four premierships. And um, anyway, I went, uh, I couldn't get it out of my mind. So I drove down to uh, Richmond and um, I spoke to Graham Richmond who was the absolute power broker he was the man who did everything and I walked in and it was after 10 o'clock and he was uh, mopping out Volclu's Hotel I said to him listen I've just been told that Tommy's going to get the sack and he said Scott because you're a Richmond boy and born and bred and I've known you since you were a kid Will not deny, but I will not confirm. I said, "Oh God Almighty, where did this put me?" So I went home. I waited. I rang Hafey, and he was at the Sandringham Drive-in, and uh, with Maureen. And he was—he hadn't been not home yet. So I waited and waited and waited. I rang later, rang later, and I said, "Tom, I've just been told that you're going to get the sack on Sunday." He said, oh, those stories have been going around for years. He said, no, no truth in it. No way known at all. Into the office. And um, I spoke to the sports editor, uh, Alan Dunn. And um, he said, we'll write something and we'll put it in that it could happen. So I did. And you wouldn't believe it. Sunday morning, he got the flick. He didn't talk to me for about two or three years after that. And we were good mates, too. But just shows you you, you, you never know where you pick up a story. He held it against you for a few years, you say? yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, did he? What? Oh, yeah. In fact, he never really liked press people. Never Didn't like the media much. But I always, like, we were good mates. I used to be in his shop all the time. And, oh, he was a terrific guy, Tommy Hoefy.
1: And Scott, just on that mateship with... Tommy Hafey, a legend of the game, a premiership coach. When it comes to relationship with players and coaches back in those days, I mean, how different was it? I mean, when you look at the modern game now and you're in the game um, for a long, long time, was it easier to form relationships back then? And and was it better in that sense? Oh, yeah.
2: It was easier. It was better. And I, I say to people, people I met at that period... I'm still friends with now. I saw Michael Tuck. I've got a picture at he- here at home of me interviewing Michael Tuck after one of his premierships and I'm sitting next to him in the dressing room. And, you know, there was those sorts of things you could do in those days. It was It was fantastic, really. I've got great uh, rapport with a lot of p- people from... Uh, uh, Peter Hudson uh, lives down this way. Um, Ian Wilson and we, I meet up with Ian Wilson uh, at the local footy club down here. Uh, Tony Jewell um, is a good man. My, my wife made him a couple of um, masks to wear wear for work uh, the other day. All those things. The relationships were so strong. Teddy Whitten was and Barras, of course. I became uh, Barass' ghostwriter for about 15 years and went through hell with him because he used to make sure that every word was correct, every full stop was there. And um, it was painful, but it was fantastic, really, too. And he is probably my idol, uh, Barass. I just love him.
1: And was there more trust back then scott did you was there some frustration on your behalf, perhaps later in your years in the industry, that the trust just wasn't there, like it maybe it was you know decades earlier?
2: Oh, the trust was there, I think. I never had any problems um with anybody really um I got on well with people. Carl Dietrich I saw a picture of Carl Dietrich um looking at a picture of him getting a his number four Guernsey from Daryl Baldock. And I did that story back in 1959, it had. Carl used to be pretty violent at times. He used to run past me and give me a bump and all that sort of stuff. But we
1: still became good mates. Was there a story you had, Scott, there might have been several, that you chose not to publish?
2: I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. I
1: usually write them. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough too. Somehow hey. I found a way to put them in. Amidst the writing that you had stints on Breakfast Radio, there was various footy paddles along the way too, but tell me, was it the move into TV? And I want to know how that came about because it was as the pioneering presenter of Punchlines on Channel 7 that your legend truly grew, didn't it? Yeah, it
2: was. Breakfast Radio, I was on with um, Johnny Blackman, who I still connect up with now, even though he's had problems of his own, and um, uh, Sean... Sean Cosgrove and uh, Leon Weigard. I was on with uh, Bertie Newton at 3DB for a while too. But, um, yeah, I um, always try and sort of stay close to people I know and people I trust. And one was Gordon Bennett. You now, he was a um, a young cameraman about 17 or 18 when I first met him. And he became sort of the, the producer of World of Sport and and, uh, and a terrific character down at Channel 7. In fact, he, he a legend at Channel 7. And he used to come up, have a drink with me at Lou Richards, and I used to go down there on a Friday night and have a few drinks with him. And I said, Gordon, you don't get enough news down here. He said, well, what do you think I should do? I said, well, I could bring down some stories and you could get someone to... Um, put them over so he said why don't you come down for world of sport and bring down some questions you can give hand out to jack dyer and those guys so i said okay i'll do that so i did that for a couple of years and then listen i might come up one night up to uh the sunday sunday press and um we might do a bit of a film and see how you do it off the off the desk i said okay so
1: he did it and it worked and uh 25 years later, I think I was still doing it. Punchlines was born. Were you one-take wonder, Scott, or do you need a few cracks at it? No.
2: Hey, I'll tell you a story. Down at Channel 7, the operators down there, they regarded me as something uh, unusual. They ter- they termed my little segment Scotty Lotto. It, they, they gambled on how many takes I did. To get it right. (laughs) And um, 22 was the most I'd done. 22 takes I did one night to get it right. What made it the success that it was? The punchlines. It was different because no one, and it was rough. A jacket on and didn't even comb my hair. And and it was just natural. That's what it was. And a lot of people didn't mind me making the odd error when I first started. They, were, I think, they were counting how many they were, how many I made. I know that the Age, uh, because we were in opposition to the Sunday Age, were very unhappy about me having the platform of Channel Seven to push push the Sunday Press, and they used to write to Channel Seven and t- and ask them whether they could have somebody on as well. They felt that we were getting a a leg up, which we were, of course. Um, But Channel 7 stuck with me, and um, they didn't change one thing. They said, you just go on the way you've been going.
1: You're, You're doing all right. So that's how it started, and that's how it finished. Scotty, the game today and the coverage of it, I mean, do you sit back and marvel at just how big it has become?
2: Oh, it's unbelievable. It really is. There's more opinion writers now. Blokes have got egos. A lot of them have got so many egos. It's unbelievable. I I was just a a, a sort of a a backroom boy, you know, and um, that's how it started for me. But now they want to be up there doing this, doing that, and break everything has to be exclusive. Just tell the story. That's all you have to do. Tell the story. There's so many wonderful stories around that aren't even covered. It's amazing. It really
1: is. It's all about, all about branding now, you reckon, Scott? It is.
2: It is. Yeah, yeah. But,
1: you know, it gets, gets on my goat the way
2: they say, this is exclusive. We've got it first and all this sort of stuff. Who cares whether you've got it first or not? Tell it promptly and give, give them something that they haven't heard before. That's the key. And, and make it interesting. Make it end, There's a bit of entertainment involved in it. That's why that front bar is such a good show. It tell, tells it differently. Ma and, and uh, all those guys do a good job on that. Ma, I might be getting old, which I am. I'm 83
1: now. <laughs> You're with This Is Just Sporting Life, brought to you, of course, by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, it wasn't just footy for Scott Palmer. After this break, we'll talk Olympics, Cassius Clay and Nelson Mandela.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with the man who keeps on punching, Scott Palmer. Well, Scotty, you were fortunate enough to take your craft overseas with the Rupert Murdoch Scholarship, and it gave you the chance to work in London. That must have been a huge thrill. Fantastic. That
2: was unusual for me. You know me, you know, me, you know what I look like. I'm not exactly a, a, a charismatic character. In the Herald at that time, there were some big, tall, good-looking cadets that um, I thought were superior to me. But I was chosen for the Murdoch Scholarship, which was unbelievable, really. Anyway, it took me to London and New York. And I was particularly keen when I went to America in New York. And uh, I stayed with a bloke that was over there, our correspondent, Donnie Peterson. And he he sort of guided me in the right directions. And I became very one story if you don't mind one story that was interesting was uh i became interested in trotting over there yonkers speedway it was and um there was a bloke over there called irving rudd who ran trotting i had a good time he looked after me a year later he rang me back and he said listen scott i've got four journos from new york good sports juniors wanting to come to australia now, if we come to Melbourne, could you show them around for a day? So I said, "Yeah, I'll look after them for a day." They arrived, and I had a. I got the Herald to loan me a big limo car. I went out to pick them up at the airport. First off, to the MCG, and uh, I showed them around the MCG. And Ian Johnson was there then, and he mm. had a, We had a morning tea and all that sort of stuff set up. Then we went to Flemington and um, to see where the Melbourne Cup was held and to the showgrounds where the trotting was on. We had the full day. I took them to Far Lap at the museum, Sandown Park. They had to get back to the airport to get this late plane to um, uh, Sydney, back to Sydney. And I said, I've got a star attraction. And I took them out to Marco Polo Street, Mooney Ponds. And
0: Lionel Rose
2: was the... World champion bantamweight boxer then. He'd beaten fighting a Called into Jack Rennie's house. And we all sat down in the lounge room with um, his wife. Had a cup of tea again. Went out to this little uh, shed in the backyard where Lionel Rose, the world champion, was training. And these guys from America were just amazed. And it was just a wonderful experience for these guys. You couldn't believe...
1: And um, much, they were pleased, so pleased to be there, you know. And speaking of boxing, isn't that where you cross paths with a certain Cassius Clay? Jack uh, Cannon, Jack Cannon
2: was, Jack Cannon was uh, there and he said, why don't you go out and see Cassius Clay train? So I said, oh, I will. So I caught a, a train out to um, uh, Chalk Farm where the gym was and it was packed. There was cameras everywhere and, and he was boxing with um jimmy alice who went on to win a world title um he was the cassius clay sparring partner we all went into the dressing room and um angelo dundee was there his trainer and all pushing in trying to get a good spot they couldn't work out how to weigh cassius he was sitting there with just a robe on and a towel around him and um they were trying to work out how to work this machine and it was one of those sliding, sliding weights that you had to push it, push it across a bar till it leveled up, and they couldn't work it. So I said, I think I can do that. And I actually weighed him while he was standing there. And he, was, he was sweating like Oh, you know, he it was, it was, it was fantastic. You couldn't wish to see a better figure. There was a man than Cassius mm. Clay. He was just wonderful. And uh, I start, start to talk to him. And then he said, where are you from? I said, oh, from Australia.
0: He said, oh, I'd
2: love to go to Australia. He said, there's a lot of um, aboriginals out there, aren't they? I said, yeah. And we start to talk about the outback. Got into a good conversation about Australia and the aboriginals and how they live and all that sort of stuff. And then it's a funny thing, Sam. At that night, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I um, was walking through um, Piccadilly in, in London, Having a look at the sights and all that sort of stuff, and a taxi pulled up. It was Cassius Clay, and he he wound down the window, and he said, "Hey, Scott, do you want a lift anywhere?" How stupid was I? I said, oh, we, I said no. I, oh, Cassius, good. Yeah, no, I, I'm okay. No, oh, no, no problems, mate. I should have got in the cab. I still kick myself.
1: Have you got a favourite Olympic moment that yeah, stands but, out that endures, Scotty? Yeah. Oh." Favourite Olympic
2: moment, um, I got, well, oh, Mandela, yes. It was Barcelona. And uh, Steve, remember Stephen Phillips? Yeah, of course. Well, he was the chief of staff for Channel 7 at that stage for the Olympics. And he said, hey, Scott, there's word that Nelson Mandela was um, going to visit the um, Athletes' Village. Uh, why don't you go down and see if you can find him, see if you can see him take a cameraman. So we went down, we went through all the red tape to get into the village. We walked around for a while and couldn't find anything. And I went up to this gatekeeper and I said, listen, um, have you seen Nelson Mandela walk around here at all? He said, yeah, he just went up those stairs there. I said, oh, hello, come on, up we go. So I went up the stairs and it was a long aisle with all rooms from, out both sides. And we went, tested every room. Finally, we went into one, and there he was. He was talking to some South African officials. I said, now, just wait. And as soon as he breaks off this conversation, we're going to uh, go straight up there and and introduce ourselves. So that happened. We walked straight up, and I said, I'm Scott Palmer from the Australian media. And he said, oh, Australia, yeah. And um, I said, what are you here for, Mr Mandela? He said, oh, well, we're back in the um, Olympics, South Africa, and I'm, I'd like to, I would like to—I wanted to see how the boys were, were settling in and all that sort of stuff. And we got into a bit of a conversation on that. When do you think you could come to Australia? And he said, I'd love to. He said, but there's a lot to do at home before I get around to travelling overseas. We did, we took photos and all, and I went back to uh, 7, and we missed the news. And uh, I said, I've got Man- Man- Mandela. And uh, Stephen said, oh, geez, we've just missed the news. We might have to wait a wait a bit. But just then, NBC, the American Broadcasting Service, came in and said, we believe you got some film of Nelson Mandela. And they said, uh, yes, yes. They said, do you think we could borrow it? So uh, Channel 7 said, sure. So they took the film and they said, Scott, why don't you go down and see what they do with it? So I went down to the NBC office and uh, then sat down and watched myself on American TV. And
1: what a great pleasure it is to talk to him too on This Is Your Sporting Life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly to get Scott's recollections of his foray into the pub game.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
1: It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. MCG Media Hall of Famer Scott Palmer is our guest today. Well, Scott, apart from media and apart from being a father and a husband, you also find a sliver of time to go into business, and you did so. You became a publican. There was a little pub in Richmond,
2: the cherry tree, in the back blocks. No one knew where it was. But I used to pass it, and I always used to think, if I had a pub, that's the one I'd like to own. Well, many, many years later, Ron Barassi and Adrian Gallagher and I put in a few thousand bucks each and we got a lease of the Cherry Tree Hotel, which was so run down you couldn't imagine. It was controlled by a drug dealer, just a, a, an ordinary, oh, a very, very ordinary place. In fact, <laughs> The normal person wouldn't want to go into it. That's how bad it was. Well, I saw something in it. I've always, I'd always loved it. And um, I can remember going down there one night and uh, with Gags, Gallagher, we were having a look through it and uh, all the, the types down there weren't, weren't too good, you know. We, the people that owned it at that stage really were pleased that we took it over. We, we had a wonderful time down there, except that we had this drug dealer who was massive in the business. Oh, he ran the place, ran the drugs. He thought he was in charge. And he used to come in, he'd get a, a small, tiny glass, bourbon and Coke, and put down $50 and le- leave the money there, leave the change there. And I used to say to the uh, barmaid, just pick the money up Put it aside. Next time he came in, give it back to him. So we we virtually weaned him off and we we got rid of all the um, druggies that were waiting around for him to make the deliveries and all that sort of stuff. It was a very hazardous time. He used to shoot the place up every time we did something against him. Part of our masonry, the walls outside were blown away. It was like the old Wild West normal person would be afraid to walk in, but we kept at it and kept at it. Do you remember a bloke called Terry Holden? He used to be a, a crooner uh, for IMT and um, he was a terrific bloke and he had a, he ran, fell on bad times and rang me up one day and he said, um, I'm a short order cook now up at Ernie Sigley's Hotel, the Australia in Bridge Road, but he's, he's given me the flick have you got a room down at the cherry tree that I could rent. And uh, I had a few guys staying down there. And I said, yeah, I think I have. I think I've got the, the honeymoon suite. He said, uh, what's the honeymoon suite? I said, well, it's the only bedroom with hot and cold running water in it. <laughs> anyway, he said, oh, do you reckon I could get it? And um, I said, uh, yeah. He said, what are you going to charge me? I said, oh, I'll make it 20 bucks, uh, 20 bucks a week. He came down. And one night he was standing in the bar with me, having a beer. Drug dealer came in. And Terry must have looked at him badly or something, because he said, what are you looking at? And Terry said, not much. And uh, anyway, he pulled a gun, out, a gun on us. A pistol. He held it on us. And uh, he said, I'm going to shoot your balls off. Testicles, he said. <laughs> and he, he was waving his gun around. He held it on us, and he was one more word of you from you, Terry, and you'll, 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 you won't have any testicles. We're there for about an hour or more with this gun on us. And he was going to kill us. My son, who lived at the pub, and he saw what was happening, and he went went upstairs, and he got his shotgun. He came down and he sat he stood on the other side of the bar and pointed his shotgun straight at this guy, and he said, "If you touch that trigger." I'll blow you to kingdom come. The bloke got a bit scared, dashed out. We were bloody thankful because that was a very dicey situation. The coppers got him, but we had to go to the Paran court. The magistrate said to me, Mr Palmer, when this bloke walked in, how was he behaving? I said, well, he walked in like Jimmy Cagney. The actor, with his, <laughs> his swaggering this way and swaggering that way. And you wouldn't believe there was a bloke uh, from Truth there at the court case. The Truth came out next next, w- next that week and said, um, headlines, you know, he walked in like James Cagney, said Palmer. Oh, I was made, the, <laughs> made the papers that way as well. But yeah, you know, they, they were
1: amazing days. That's a long they, way from the VFA. It was a long
2: way from. It sure was.
1: Yeah, it
2: was a wonderful part of the world. It should have been, but we we cleaned it all out, and were able. When when we went in, when we went into the pub, they were selling one barrel of beer a a, a week, an eighteen it was, one barrel. They weren't interested in uh, beer; they were interested in drugs. Everybody, you yeah. know. But we cleaned all that out and in the end we were selling thirty barrels of beer a week. And um and uh you know, it became a very, very successful little pub. Um Brass, Brass never appeared that much. Um he used to come down and check the books and all that sort of stuff. But there was one time there, um, he came in and uh he was he and I were at the end of the bar, having a drink, and um, the Param crime cars raided the pub looking for drugs. And uh, this had happened regularly, of course. And um, the place was packed. Anyway, the, the police came in and pushed their way through the crowd. And anyone who got their way, they gave a little jab to, um, pushed their way out. And Barat said, well, This is police brutality. watching air and he said um, I said oh this happens regularly these blokes are used to this and anyway um, this big sergeant came up uh, to us and Barassi said uh, listen I reckon you've been a bit uh, heavy handed here Uh, these blokes weren't doing anything wrong and the sergeant said listen Barassi one more word from you and you'll be the first in the divvy wagon well I thought Brash was my hero, you know. He, he could do anything, wo- go through brick walls. But he, he went backwards so fast he nearly knocked me over. He, he's, he was a bit <laughs> scared himself. But um, he didn't come back after that. He didn't make too many trips back to the pub after that episode. They were funny days.
1: I just wanted to ask you, Scotty, what you thought about the way the game is played today because I think you've got a real love for the game still but maybe more on the local footy front. Uh, you're a passionate local footy man, aren't you? But what do you make of the modern game?
2: I like I like football. I love football. It's different.
1: I, I did like the, the high marking.
2: I did like you know, the, the, the ruck-rover um, combination going well. I liked seeing Paul Vander at centre half forward, high marking with Peter Knights and all that sort of stuff. Um now it's it's very athletic and very it's a brutal game now. I tell you what, you haven't have a look at what's taking place now. They hit each other hard, I tell you. Yeah, but it's it's hasn't got the flair. I used to like the high the high marks and and just the the man on man too, one on one, and none of this kicking backwards, kicking sideways, kicking forward. That's the way you want to go, kick forward, anyway. But it's still a great game, and still it still captivates audiences, and that's the way football should be. I love the local footy. I um, I get down there. I I'm, I used to host the lunches down here for about four years and used to enjoy it until I got sick but I was still going back and one of the the first MCs that actually sang songs too but I can't sing anymore as you can tell by my voice.
1: Scotty, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. You were an inspiration to many. You're a pioneer in so many ways when it comes to how the game is consumed by the fans and you've been incredibly entertaining today as much as ever. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Good on you, mate.
1: And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs
2: apply.